Welcome to the Cochrane Community Church Podcast. We're so happy that you're joining us, and we look forward to how Jesus will impact your life through this message. See, at Cochrane Community Church, our mission is simple. We want to share the love of Jesus so that our families, our community, the next generation, and the world will know Him as Savior. And this means that we strive to be a loving, Christ-centered community of believers. We just want to say thank you so much again for taking the time to tune into this episode. And at this time, please sit back and relax and enjoy this week's episode. Good morning. It's kind of hard to follow that, isn't it? I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. Oh, I hope that that's uh, your prayer for today. Hope that you can honestly say that to God. I'll stand and just worship you with my life. That's what it's all about, isn't it? We're going to talk kind of about that today. Uh, But I want to start first. I want to talk about food. Let's talk about food. I like food. Everybody like food? Yeah, we all like food. Yeah, we can give food a big applause. Um, Now, I like food a lot. Let's talk about that. Uh, One time I I thought I would try fasting for my very first time. You know, I'm going to go without food for 24 hours. I can do this. And, uh, you know, I was going to be godly and real spiritual. I'm going to go without food for 24 hours. And and I had never done it before. So I thought, well, that's what Christians do. They fast and I'm going to fast. So I got up in the morning and didn't eat anything. Just drank water. I was starving. You know, by lunchtime rolls around. I'm just famished. I can do this, Lord, yes, Jesus, Holy Spirit, please pour through me, you know, nourish me. I don't know, whatever I was saying. Drinking water, dinner time comes around, starving, just starving. I didn't eat anything. Drinking water, I can do this, I can do this. Well, I had to work late that night, and I wasn't realizing that I had to work late so that I wouldn't be at home in my starved misery. So as I'm at work, it's like getting to be 7 o'clock, and uh, at work we had to... uh, uh, I worked in television, so we had to go on the air at 7 o'clock, and I had to direct a television show, okay? I hadn't eaten all day, very first time, really fasting for 24 hours. So we go live on the air, and the next thing you know, we're probably 10 minutes into the show, and I'm directing, and, and I had a hypoglycemic meltdown. Has anybody ever had one of those? Where, no, I'm the only one where your blood sugar drops, and you just feel like you're going to die. And so I was crashing. And I started shaking. I was sweating profusely. I was this far from passing out. I'm literally like in a chair going, oh, my word. Oh, my word. I need food. I need food. And the guy next to me is an engineer. He has no idea, how, a TV engineer. He has no idea how to do my job. And we're live on the air. And I said, Ray, I got to leave. And he's like, ah, what? What are you talking about? And I literally just got up and left us hanging on the air and walked out of the room and ran out of the room, I should say, to find food. And so I found food, and wouldn't you know, you know, I stuffed my face and got as much food in, in me as I could. I'm eating candy bars and crackers and everything, and uh, I start to feel better. My blood sugar starts to come back up, and I go back into the control room, and there's Ray in a panic. Now he's having a, a panicky meltdown because he had never done this before, and I was able to move him over and say, okay, okay, I'm okay now. So that was my first uh, attempt at fasting, and I realized that I can't go too long like that without something, and uh, that's only one instance that I've had probably about two months ago. I was on my treadmill, and I came upstairs, I started to have one of these drops, and I like laid on the floor. This happens every couple of months, I would say. It doesn't happen too often, but I'm laying on the floor, I'm dying. I can see like the Grim Reaper standing over me with his sickle. I'm, I'm like almost out of there, right? And I'm going, Donna, help me, I need something. So she comes over, and she gives me crackers or something, and she checks my blood sugar, and it was 47. 
So I'm like this far away from death, right? And uh, that happens sometimes when your food gets out of whack or you don't eat or you eat or any of that. And uh, then there's this whole hangry thing. You know what hangry is? I think that's a perfect word that describes the uh, situation, don't you think? Hangry, it works. Who struggles with hangry? You could at least raise your hand for this one. You at home, struggle with hangry? Come on, raise your hand. Who knows somebody that struggles with hangry and you're on the receiving end of it? Don't look at your spouse. I saw you look at your spouse. Don't do that, right? Hangry is a great word. But sometimes when you're on the receiving end of it, you get the punishment and that's not good. And so today for our beatitude, Jesus says, blessed are the hangry for they shall find pizza. You know, I don't know, maybe it's something like that. Maybe not, maybe not. I just made that up. And uh, that's not a beatitude, but it should be. But we've got to, let's get started into this. So beatitudes, as we're thinking about food, you got that in your mind, right? You got that so far. Thinking about that, the necessity of that. Beatitudes are statements of blessings like Jesus's. Blessed are, blessed are. That's why in the Bible you read the beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Statements of blessing. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor. So I'm going to reiterate that. We're in week four of the series, and it's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, goes to the end of chapter seven. Now, let's start by reading our blessed our statements, okay? Let's read the Beatitudes together like we've done the last couple weeks. Everybody, okay? Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and here's the Beatitudes, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, so the poor in spirit... For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Some more. Great. They shall Great, there you have us. Now, how many of you said blessed? And how many of you said blessed? Nobody. Okay, I talked about that the first week. I kind of go in and out with both of those. So, and our beatitude for today is, dun, dun, dun. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now you understand why I started talking about food today. The first thing, we're talking about hunger and thirsting, but we're not talking about hunger and thirsting for food. We're talking about righteousness. And I was like, what is that? And it seems simple enough, doesn't it? But over the past few weeks, I've told you, you know, sometimes it isn't that simple. Sometimes you can read like one single verse in the Bible and there's a whole volume, a whole encyclopedia's worth of research done on that one verse. And it's like, I can't wrap my head around all of that, right? That happens sometimes. But in this instance, Jesus isn't getting all too crazy up in there, right? He's not getting too crazy. And this is really, really good stuff. I really enjoyed uh, researching this one today. That's for sure. For this week. Um, so we all know what blessed means. It means fortunate, happy. It means things are going well for this person. It's going well. And these are not meant to shame anybody or to bring you down. And I know the last few weeks messages have hit some people hard because I've gotten some responses from you. And I understand that. And that's true that the Holy Spirit will convict us of where we need work 
in our life, and that happens, but um, th- these can be tough for some of you. But like in our context, though, they're truths about living as a believer, as a child of God in the kingdom on earth. All of these are. And the Holy Spirit will convict us about things we think we're doing or we're not doing, or we'll hear a scripture, and, oh my gosh, I struggle so much with that. Don't forget God's grace. God is a God of grace. He gives us a lot of wiggle room. He's a God of grace. So we can't sit around and beat ourselves up about all the stuff we do right and all the stuff we do wrong. And now Pastor John said this, and now I'm down here in the bottom of the pit, you know, and we beat ourselves up. God is a God of grace. Why do you think he sent his son, Jesus Christ? So we have happy, fortunate, it will go well for those who, what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think we all know what hunger and thirst means. And Jesus is using these as metaphors for the idea of desiring something strongly, craving something, something that you must have. And if you think about hunger and thirst, why Jesus might have used these metaphors. Think about being hungry and thirsty. Like I just talked about food for a minute ago. A minute ago, food and water are absolutely necessary for survival. Wouldn't you say So my research shows me that you could go about three to four days typically without any water at all, without any liquid, three to four days. Now, there's a whole lot of factors that weigh into that. You know, you're getting liquid from food, you know, whatever it is, how much you weigh, all of that. A lot of things go into that, but our our bodies are made up of 60% water. And then food, uh, for me, it's not very long. Can't go with food very long, without food for very long. But between 40 and 60 days, research shows, with tons of things factored into that, you can go a long time without food, but you can't go very long with, without water, obviously. And so you understand what we're saying here when Jesus says those who hunger and thirst, he uses those metaphors because they're so important in our life. And we all know in this room and watching online that we need food and water to survive, right? And if we don't have them, what happens? We crave them. I'm dying of thirst. Right? We say that all the time. I'm dying of thirst. Like, yeah, really, really going to die. Has it been four days? You know, you're not really dying of thirst. Boy, I'm so hungry. I can eat a cow. You know, really can eat a cow. So we crave food. We crave water. And what do they do? They quench. They satisfy our hunger and our thirst. And we get that. Now, okay, so he says, blessed are those who, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Two important things in our lives for righteousness. Now, what's that? Okay, there's the big churchy part of it. Righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I did some intensive research. Let's look at this right here. Here's your English lesson. Uh, Righteousness. So now the quality of being morally right or justifiable. Okay, we know that's righteousness. It's not a word that we use very often. I mean, you might say, hey, dude, you're pretty righteous. You know, you might say something like that. I don't know. Or, but uh, we don't use it very often, do we? <laughs> Maybe you do. I, I don't. This food is righteous, honey. You know, I tell my wife that all the time when she cooks stuff. Uh, I don't really. But that, that definition is from uh, Bible scholar Dr. Google. I did a lot of research for that. But here's a really solid definition for us today. Check this out. Righteousness in Matthew is not so much being good, but rather a synonym, a word that, uh, the same, different, different word for the same meaning, for the Christian life, viewed as a relationship with God focused in obedience. I love that. That's a, that's a good way to look at it. 
Righteousness in Matthew is not so much about being good. It's not that, but it's a synonym for the Christian life. Those who hunger and thirst for that. Okay? So I want to address righteousness, and we're going to look at it in two different ways. We're going to be in Romans today. If you have a Bible with you, you at home, we'll have them on the screen. You can open your Bible at home as well. We will put these up here for you. Uh, I'm in the uh, uh, NIV today. New International Version. So let's go to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 18. We're going to read a few verses from there. Here's what it says. It says, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act, there's that word, resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as Through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. So also, through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Now, if you've been around church circles for any amount of time, you know what that means, right? But if you haven't been around church circles for any amount of time, you might not have any idea what that means. And we'll talk about that. Look at this. Number one, here's where we're starting. Salvation, relationship with Jesus, makes us righteous before God. Perfect. Okay, that we could call that perfect righteousness or imputed righteousness. Imputed means given to, laid upon, okay? Imputed righteousness is given to us by God. What is righteousness? What did we say? Morally right, justifiable, Christian life. So if you look at this, salvation makes us righteous before God, perfect, and, and it's imputed. It's given to us by God. It's not anything we can do, Okay? So Paul's writing to the church in Rome. Let me explain this to you. And he's explaining the Christian faith to his audience because they they don't really know how all this works. I talk about this all the time. Christianity is brand new. It's like, you're a Christian now. It's like, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I believe in Jesus and I believe what he did, but now what? And, And that happens a lot. So Paul has to write to these different churches that he planted. Okay, okay, here's next steps. Here's, here's what's going on with you. So he's explaining the faith to his audience and what the, the work of Christ really means. And when he says that one man sins or trespasses, he says trespass, one man. He's talking about Adam in the garden. Many of you knew that. He's talking about Adam. The one man is Adam in the garden. Adam sinned. He was referring to the sin of Adam in the garden. And Adam ruined what life could have been for everybody else. Disobedience, as Paul says in verse 19. Adam's disobedience ruined what could have been for everybody else. He brought sin into the world through his sin, disobeying God, which condemned us all. Okay? That's what Paul's talking about when he says that one man brought it into the world. Adam. Then he goes on to say, but... Because of one act of righteousness, which we just talked about, the act of doing something to bring us into a right relationship with God, many will be made righteous, okay? And it says, Jesus is obedience. In verse 19, they're talking about Jesus there. The one man is Jesus. The one man that blew it all is Adam. The one man that fixed it all is Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about here. Adam was disobedient. Jesus was obedient. Adam blew it, Jesus fixed it, and made us justifiable before God. Okay, you see what Paul's talking about there? So we have that part. We know that it's Jesus who makes us righteous because of what Adam did. We need it. We need to believe that. And that imputed righteousness is perfect, given to us by God. 
Now, the prophet Isaiah wrote about this same thing in Isaiah 53. Check this out. This is like God talking through Isaiah. He says, when he sees all that is accomplished, talking about Jesus, by his anguish, that would be Jesus dying on the cross, he will be satisfied. Jesus will be satisfied. What are we talking about? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And because of his, Jesus' experience, my righteous, there's that word again, servant, Jesus, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Isn't that awesome how that just ties around? How that goes back to what we're talking about here? And Paul's a Bible scholar. He's most likely drawing from this passage in Isaiah, which is talking about the Messiah. Jesus' death makes it possible for the many to be made righteous. He will bear their sins. So who are the many? Those who have made Jesus their savior. That's it. Those who have made Jesus their savior. When we receive Jesus as our savior by faith, we become righteous, cleaned up, perfect in God's eyes. It's done. It's done. So we need punished because of who we are, because of what Adam did, the one man, we deserve the punishment. But Jesus had to come and make it right, okay? Jesus had to come and make it right. And I remember, remember me telling you the story about the time when uh, me and my cousin, I don't remember when, this was, when I told you this, but we were up in the attic on the third floor in his room, and we were in like sixth grade or something like that. And we're up there playing or doing whatever you do when you're in sixth grade. And we look out the window all the way down there, we see his neighbor walking up the driveway. And so I, my, we were drinking water, you know, and I, so I said to my cousin, wouldn't it be funny if we threw water out the window on the neighbor? And he's like, yeah, that would be hilarious. So he has a glass of water. We're hanging out the window. The neighbor's walking up the driveway. He goes, you know, Geronimo. And the neighbor's like, push, gets water all over him. He's like, you kids, I'm going to get you kids. He's soaking wet. And he goes into his house, and we hear the door slam. And oh, we're just rolling around on the floor laughing, you know. So nothing happened. But right after that, we got on our bikes, and we rode to my house. And when we get to my house a couple of miles away, my mom is standing at the door. Like this, you know, with her foot tapping. You can see, I can always tell when my mom is mad just by looking at her face. You know, I don't, I don't know, a mom face. You know, we all have those if you're a mom or a dad. We have that face. So my mom's looking at, she's waiting for us to come in the door. She knew we were coming. And then she said, you guys are in so much trouble. You, you know, like you're doomed. You are in big trouble. She's like fuming. The neighbor called your mom to my cousin and, and told him that you guys threw water out the window on him and got him all soaked. And my cousin, bless his heart, said, it was me, Aunt Carol. I did it. John had nothing to do with it. I did it. It was, it was all me. Now, remember, I had him on, so I was really guilty, but he took all the blame for it. My mom said, okay. Nothing I, can, nothing I can do about that. And my mom said, uh, Eric, you need to get home because your mom's waiting for you. And <laughs> so that didn't end well for him. But you see, that's, that's kind of what Jesus did for us. Right? He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I did, I'll take it. I'll take the punishment. I'll take the punishment. And what are you going to do with this? We have to admit that we can't fix anything on our own. That you are the one who poured the water out the window and threw it all over the neighbor. And Jesus took the blame and the punishment. Believers then are made righteous in God's eyes because of what he did. 
And this righteousness, this being made right, is imputed. It's bestowed, put on us, not by anything that we can do, but what Jesus did. It's a gift. You don't earn a gift. Get that right first. You don't earn a gift. And righteousness starts there. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the righteousness that can only become that can only come from Jesus Christ. So we know then that um, salvation makes us righteous before God. This is the only way it works. And Jesus says, uh, "What blessed are you who hunger and crave this, thirst for this, because here it is. And Jesus has says elsewhere, just to cap this off, this thought off here, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. What that, that's, what's that? It's food. I am the living water. He, Jesus says, you will never thirst again. You will be satisfied. And these are all words of Jesus that we can find in different places in the New Testament. It all comes together. It all ties together. Okay, so we got that first definition of righteousness that I wanted to share with you. Now let's look at the second way that righteousness works for us. We have imputed righteousness, which is bestowed on us, given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, a perfect righteousness, imputed. Now, move over to Romans chapter 6 and go to verse 12. Paul's going to keep talking here. He says this, Therefore, Because of what I just told you, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of, what's the word? Righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Because you are not under the law, but under grace. Good stuff. There's that word righteousness again. Growing in our faith. Paul starts with this section. He says, therefore, he's referring back to the fact that we have been brought from death to life. We have new life in Jesus Christ, new righteousness bestowed upon us, right? And because of that, because of that first thing that happens, your life needs to change. It needs to be a reflection of Jesus' work in you. And Paul says, stop letting your life be ruled by sin. Look what Jesus did for you. Stop letting your life be ruled by sin. Stop letting it rule your life. And he says that at the end there. So you'll no longer be your master. Number two, look at this. Growing in our faith then, growing in our faith, is progressive righteousness. Progressive righteousness, what's that mean? Progressive, making progress, is imparted. It's made known to us by God. Write that down. We have imputed we have imparted. It's made known to us by God. Growing in our faith is progressive righteousness. So we look at righteousness now from two areas, right? And that's what imparted means, made known. And the bottom line to this here is this. We're all a work in progress. It kind of goes right there with it. We're all a work in progress. If we have received Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're all a work in progress. Do anybody agree with me? Say amen. Amen. 
Paul says in Romans 7, he says, Oh, that I do what I don't want to do, but I don't do what I want to do, but I can't do what I want to do, but I do what I don't. And he goes on and on and on. It's like, there's sin living in me, and I can't do the right thing, and I don't want to do the right thing. And, and I don't know about you, but I always think of Paul as being like the, the next one to Jesus up in heaven. You know, so you have God on the throne, Jesus as his right hand, and then Paul, you know, Paul, or Moses, I don't know, Paul. Paul's like the holy guy. We all think that, right? And what's this holy guy, Moses, being used by God massively to plant churches and to do all of this stuff? What's he say? Oh, I sin. I can't hold myself. I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do, and all of these things. He struggles with the same issues that we struggle with. Do you see that? Progressive righteousness is the step-by-step process of the big churchy word, sanctification. Becoming more like Jesus day by day. It's a progression. It's progressive. It's progressive righteousness. And here's what we must understand so that we don't get discouraged. Paul struggled. Everybody struggles. We're never going to get it perfect. Paul talked a lot about the sin that lived in him and how it would regularly rear its ugly head. And he got it. He got it. Right? So we have righteousness before God. It comes from salvation. And then we have this progressive righteousness as we move along in our faith, growing to become more like Jesus. Look at this Bible scholar. Duncan Rankin said this. We fight sin. Here's why. Listen, because we love God and we want to bring him glory. But this is not a lonely struggle that you do all by yourself, a flesh against all the demons that we have in our life or that plague us. Rather, it's a deliberate and conscious battling against sin in our lives, but always in union with Christ. We don't have to go it alone. You see that? We don't have to go it alone. Always in union with Christ. We become righteous before God because of Jesus, and we work to become like him in our life on earth, progressively, day by day, step by step. With the help of the Holy Spirit, sin shall no longer be our master. Why? What did that guy say? He says, because we love Jesus. We, we are so thankful for what he did for us. But how do we do this? You know, we talk about that. How do we do this sanctification thing, this progressive, the step-by-step? I like to say that we start with the fundamentals. We start with the fundamentals. Who play? Anybody play baseball? Play baseball? You know what the fundamentals are? I played baseball my whole, whole life growing up. My dad was a coach. It was like my game. My dad took me out in the backyard and, and taught me the fundamentals. And then when we got on the field with our team, we worked on the fundamentals during practice all the time, right? We learned about how to hit the ball, how to hold the bat, how to stand, where to stand. You learn to watch the ball as it leaves the pitcher's hand, which I was never good at, and, and so that you could swing and hit the ball. They teach you how to run and, and when to run and to make sure you tag the base. And they, they teach you how to throw the ball and where to throw the ball to anticipate the play where it's going to be next is where you throw the ball so you don't just throw it wherever you want. They teach you those fundamentals. They teach you about fielding. Charge ball with your glove down, right? That's how I broke my nose the first time. The ball hit a rock, hit me in the nose, and it exploded all over everywhere. Guess I wasn't very good at that either at the time. But that's the, the, the fundamentals. That's where you start with your faith. You practice, because if you practice the fundamentals in baseball, you'll eventually get pretty good at it. And if you keep doing them and doing them over and over. And the same goes with our progressive righteousness. If you start with the fundamentals, what is that? Prayer. Anybody can pray. Fundamentals. Prayer. Talk to God. 
Read your Bible. Okay, I'm not going to get into uh, uh, what Second Chronicles when I'm just starting to read the Bible. No, you can get on the Bible app on U version and find a plan, a devotion plan, a reading plan. Start simple, but start somewhere. Reading God's Word, going to church regularly. Make it a habit. It's, it's one of the fundamentals. Connecting with other believers, worshiping, serving, getting plugged in, learning to be a giver of time, talent, and tithes. These are the fundamentals. And little by little, your life changes and you start to become more and more like Jesus every day. It's a process. The work of getting saved is already done. That righteousness is done. But growing in our faith is our part. Is our part. And the fundamentals help us get there. Look at this. I love how John Piper did this whole thing about righteousness. Check this out. I love this quote. He said, here's the glory and the mystery of the Christian life. We're already righteous in Christ when we get saved. And so we have peace with God. That's done. And in the peace of that acceptance with God... We strive for righteousness in our daily lives. Okay, that would be the fundamentals that I talked about or whatever, wherever you are in that. Not only because we know that this confirms that we are God's people, but also because this is the most deeply loved and satisfying way to glorify God. Man, letting others see Christ in you is one of the best ways that we can glorify God. If you want to glorify God, make Jesus your Savior and get to know him through the fundamentals and beyond. So do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Let me ask you. Do you crave or do you long for this perfect and progressive righteousness? Have you thought about it before? And Jesus says very clearly, if you want it bad enough, you'll be satisfied. You want it bad enough, you'll be satisfied. See, our relationship with Jesus and growing in our faith and righteousness, growing in our faith and righteousness brings that satisfaction. Brings that satisfaction. What's our verse for today? Look at this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Have you made Jesus your Savior? It starts there. Always starts there. It starts there. Got to have Jesus as our Savior, right? Salvation makes us righteous before God, makes us perfect before God. He doesn't see our sin. He sees what his son Jesus did for us. It starts there. I'd love to talk to you about that. If you need to say a prayer to invite Jesus into your heart, please do that. And we'll pray that here in a second. So I hope this is encouraging for you today. I hope it's encouraged. You'll be satisfied. Nothing better than to be satisfied in Christ and bring glory to God because of it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for that what we get to learn. We know, Lord, that your word is active and alive. Lord, we know that your, your word goes out and does what you intended it to do because it's holy and it's active and it's alive. And we love what your word says. Thank you for the words of Jesus that we can be blessed when we hunger and thirst for you, God. We can bring you glory when we receive Jesus as our Savior. 
can bring glory when people see our Christian faith in our day-to-day life. We can bring you glory, God. Let me pray right now, Lord. If you're in this room or you're watching online and Jesus is not your Savior yet, you're not sure, just pray this with me right now. Pray this, dear Jesus. I know that I need you in my life. I believe that you came to this earth and died for my sins that I could never pay for. I believe that. I seek your forgiveness, Lord. I want a relationship with you. Jesus, be my Savior. Jesus, be my Savior. Lord, we pray right now for anybody that prayed that, that they would feel it and know that you are your Savior. I give this to you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We hope you found this week's episode relevant and encouraging. We just want to say thanks so much for taking time to listen. And if you'd like, please feel free to share it with a family member or a friend. We would really appreciate it. If you'd like more information about Cochrane Community Church, go online and visit ccubchurch.info. Well, that's all the time we have this week, but we would love for you to join us back here next week as we continue to see what it looks like to live a countercultural lifestyle for God. And from all of us here at Cochrane Community Church, we just want to say that we pray that God blesses your faithfulness. We'll see you back here next week.